0: Well, it's very good to be here in Fayetteville again. Uh, it does, in many ways, feel very comfortable. Justin, I was I was thinking as you were talking about all of that. I, we have known each other for 20 years. That seems like a long time. That's really crazy to think about that. So I, I did. I left uh, Fayetteville twenty, a little over 20 years ago to come to come to Master Seminary, um, and uh, but when when the Lord brought us here, um, it was the first time for my family when we came to Friendship Bible Church um, under, under Ed, um, that was the first time that we had ever been exposed to just verse-by-verse teaching of the Bible, and it really had a, a very transformative effect on, uh, on me and my mom and dad, um, and many of those things were the things that That resulted in me going off to seminary. So it was, it was a result of that ministry that I would say was the, the fruit of that, um, was me coming back to Savannah ten years ago because most of my testimony prior, prior to that had been, um, really apart from preaching that was just expositional through the Word of God. And I wanted to bring that back to Savannah. So, um, there's, I, I actually preached my very first sermon. Under Ed Sherwood, and uh, it was very short. We got to lunch very early that day uh, but so that that 's a, a pretty pretty memorable thing. Um, okay, let me tell you this one thing: guys, if you were with me this weekend, i just I realized something this morning. I realized that the scripture on my notes is e s v And the Bible that I brought is NAS. So if that was confusing while we were uh, going through things, uh, that might explain things. So if you're here, I'm kind of all things to all people this morning. You know, you might hear your version sometimes, and other times you might not recognize what in the world I'm reading. So just bear with me there as as I kind of go back and forth here. So let me pray real fast, um, and and then we'll begin. Father, I would just ask your blessing on our time together. Um, Give me... The words to say uh that that you would have me to say even even as I have prepared. And I, I just pray as, as these brothers and sisters um in Christ, many of whom I'm I'm just seeing for the first time and they're just seeing me for the first time, I, I pray that you would help me to to speak those things that, that just brighten our hearts uh to Christ um as, as we are brothers and sisters in him. So would you do that for us now? Uh we pray in Jesus' name, Amen. Um so we human beings like to believe that we are in control. We think we're good enough, we think we're strong enough, we think we're smart enough, we think we're well connected. And ultimately, I think we live a lot of our lives thinking that we're going to just be able to handle whatever comes our way. Uh let me read to you from Psalm 2. He's Psalmist says the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. So all the powerful, all the leaders of the world, they get together and they make their plans and they they think they're so great. And the psalmist says... That God laughs, and you know, you might be tempted to think, "Well, He just thinks that's kind of cute." What's going on down there? But it actually says He He holds them in derision. He mocks those who set themselves up against him and so it's it's really the very essence of foolishness for us as as human beings to set ourselves up to think that we can make our plans apart from God and so we all go around trying to make people think we've got this and then something comes into our lives where it's clear that we don't so, uh, Justin mentioned when we came up here, we came up here a couple of years ago, uh, for Hurricane Matthew and, you know, obviously Hurricane Florence just went by and, and I know other people were affected up north of us. We, we actually did not end up getting anything out of Hurricane Florence, but in, in the midst of Hurricane Matthew, um, we were at home, it was a Thursday, I think, and all of a sudden, uh, see, Things are out of our control. Things happen. They're out of our control. Uh, so we were at home on a Thursday morning. I had gone to the grocery store with my dad to stock up on supplies. And all of a sudden, the, the, the sirens on our phones sounded. And it was a mandatory evacuation. And the, the meteorologists were saying that, you know, it looks like, it looks like Matthew's going to, you know, come right for Savannah. So I come home. And Erica and I are like, what are we going to do? And, and we say, we're, I, think, I think we need to go. Um, and, and so we packed up the van, and within 20 minutes we were headed, uh, we were headed north on I-16. And in those moments, it becomes clear, I'm not in control. I mean, I, I remember backing out of the driveway, and you know, just sort of praying, Lord, you know, it's 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 your stuff anyway. So so whatever happens, and and praise God, the Lord spared us in that. Um, so today we're going to look at four very interesting accounts from the life of Jesus in the book of Luke. And they're, they're kind of longer accounts, and maybe you've heard these accounts sort of taken apart at times, but we're going we're gonna to do sort of a, a big picture view of some of these, these things. And, and I'm just going to tell you right now, as, as Patrick mentioned earlier, the theme of this passage, this, this fairly large passage, is Jesus is Lord of all. He is Lord of the natural. He is Lord of the supernatural. He is Lord of sickness. And he is Lord of death. And all four of those things are things that that are pretty insurmountable to human beings. When When the supernatural hits, when the natural disasters hit, when sickness hit, when death comes, those are things that are out of our control. And Jesus is in control of all of those things. In fact, when he speaks, those things respond. Okay? Let me tell you um, main point 1A, too, before we jump into the text this morning. Main point 1A would, would be this Jesus is the God of lost causes. He is absolutely the, lost, the God of lost causes. When human beings finally reach the end of themselves, then we discover that God is there and he is powerful. And he is faithful. And it's in those moments that we can say with the Apostle Paul, when I am weak, then he is strong. Okay. So if you're here this morning, I would suggest if you're, if you're going through something, there's something here you can identify with. We see the disciples, we see a, a man who is demon-possessed, we see a sick, unclean woman, and we see a man and his desperately sick little girl. So in this crowd, you've got people who are inside, you've got people who are outside, you've got Jews, you've got Gentiles, you've got men, you've got women. We've got a woman who has no standing in society whatsoever. We have a man who is at the top of Jewish society. So it's, it's all there. And, it, and, and, and at the end, I, I want us to see that it's, it's good. It's good to discover that we are indeed at the end of ourselves. So let's, let's jump into the passage now. So we'll look at this first section first. This is um, Luke chapter 8. We're going to start in verse 22. Now in one of those days, Jesus and his disciples got into a boat, and he said to them, let us go over to the other side of the lake. So they launched out. But as they were sailing along, he fell asleep, and a fierce gale of wind descended on the lake, and they began to be swamped and to be in danger. They came to Jesus and woke him up, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he got up and rebuked the wind and the surging waves, and they stopped, and it became calm. And he said to them, Where is your faith? And they were fearful and amazed, saying to one another, Who then is this that he commands even the winds and the water? to obey him okay so luke says at the beginning here he says now at the end uh, i'm sorry yeah now on one of those days jesus and his disciples got into a boat now jesus was a busy man he had been going around he had been teaching i i think if we kind of put the gospels together here i think he's probably at the end of a day when he he had been teaching a lot of parables um, he's obviously very tired he's he's been doing ministry and so here at the end of this very long day in an effort to get away from the crowds Jesus piles his disciples into a boat and he says let's let's go across the sea of Galilee now interestingly just just a note of interest here this is the only place in the gospels where we see Jesus sleeping um, and so Luke gives us just a little peek here into the humanity of Jesus. The writer of, Jesus, uh, of Hebrews says that uh, our Lord was tempted and tried, yet without sin, as we are yet without sin. Jesus knows what it's like to work a long, hard day and then fall asleep at the end of that day uh, because he's at the point of exhaustion. He, he knows what it feels like. Our, our God in the heavens does not sit by, uh, unemotionally as we experience the things that humanity experiences. He has experienced those things, um, yet without sin. And so his disciples sail out into the middle of the lake as Jesus curls up in the bottom of the boat and goes to sleep. And so while he's sleeping down there in the bottom of the boat, a windstorm comes up and water begins to be swept into the boat and so the the sea of galilee is this very interesting body of water it's not very big we would probably call it a lake on a clear day you can see all the way to the other side and the canyons and the place where it is on the earth cause it to be such that sometimes these storms can spring up suddenly without warning now remember y'all peter james john andrew at least these are very experienced fishermen okay So this is probably not their first storm. They've experienced storms before, but they've never experienced anything like this. And so Luke says the boat starts to to fill with water and they're in danger and they go down and they wake Jesus up and they say, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he wakes up and he rebukes the wind and the raging sea and they cease. And it's all calm. What does it look like to live in perfect peace? What if you lived all the time trusting in God's promise that he will never leave you or forsake you? And I would say that that life looks like Jesus asleep in the bottom of a boat in the middle of a raging storm. He is perfectly at peace because he is perfectly trusting his Father in heaven, so you've kind of got to picture this in your mind because I don't know how big the boat is, but it's obviously big enough for 12, uh, 13 people because it's Jesus, it's 12 disciples. Everybody's running around, they're bailing out the boat, they're doing whatever you have to do in that situation to try to keep the boat afloat. They think they're going to sleep, uh, to, to sink. Jesus is sound asleep, and finally somebody says, "Let's wake him up!" And so they go and they push and they, "Master, Master, we are perishing." And I, you know, I don't know how Jesus woke up. You know, maybe he, maybe his hair is kind of a, a tussle. You know, maybe he, stumbles to the top and goes, peace, be still. And there's peace on the water. And I like to just think about everybody just sort of sitting there, like this, this just, this, this just happened. So, so try not to be familiar with this account for a moment. You're, you're in the middle of a hurricane. You are in the middle of Hurricane Florence. You are in the middle of Hurricane Matthew. The wind is blowing. The, the trees are going from side to side. Rain is pounding. Things are blowing all around you. And a human being, a person, walks out into that storm and says, You stop. And everything is quiet. You don't know what God is really like. That's what God is really like. And so it's funny because this little section closes with two questions. Jesus has a question and the disciples have a question. So Jesus says, where is your faith? It's like, okay, guys, what do you really believe about me? You're freaking out. I'm asleep in the boat, what do you really believe? And the disciples say, who is this? Who is this that even the wind and the rain obeys him? All right, let's leave that there for a moment. And let's move on to another encounter with... mm, forces beyond human control let's begin in verse 26 and i'm just going to read the whole passage down uh, to verse 39 and then we'll come back and, and walk through it then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite galilee and when he came out onto the land he was met by a man from the city who was possessed with demons and who uh, had not put on any clothing for a long time and was living in not living in a house but in the tombs uh, seeing Jesus, he cried out and fell before him and said with a loud voice, What business do we have with each other, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For it had seized him many times, and he was bound with chains and shackles and kept under guard. And yet he would break his bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert." And Jesus asked him, What is your name? And he said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. They were imploring him not to command them to go away into the abyss. Now there was a herd of many swine feeding there on the mountain, and the demons implored him to permit them to enter the swine. And he gave them permission. And the demons came out of the man and entered the swine, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they ran away and reported it in the city and out in the country. The people went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus, and they found the man with, uh, from whom the demons had gone out, sitting down at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they became frightened. Those who had seen it reported to them how the man was demon-possessed had been made well. And all the people in the country of the Gerasenes and the surrounding district asked him to leave them, for they were gripped with great fear, and he got into the boat and returned." But the man from whom the demons had gone out was begging him that he might accompany him. And he sent him away saying, return to your house and describe what great things God has done for you. So he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city what great things Jesus had done for him. So how's this for a little getaway after a busy day? So I, I think it's kind of funny here because, remember, this whole trip started because it had been an exhausting day and they're going to get out and they're going to go across the lake. Jesus is well-rested. <laughs> he's, he's had a full night's sleep. The disciples, on the other hand, are petrified by the storm and they're a little bit scared of, of what Jesus did. And so you can almost picture Jesus, you know, hopping out of the boat and just sort of being like, come on, guys, let's go up here among these tombs, you know. And, and the guys are like, oh, my goodness, you know. Give us a break let it, let us catch our breath here for a second, and, and so they come out of the boat after this this storm situation, and they 're immediately encountered uh, by confronted by a guy who is demon possessed and naked all right standing among the tombs and and So if we look at Matthew and Mark, we see these other things about him. He screams all day and all night, he gnashes himself with stones, no one able is, to, is able to control him because he keeps breaking the chains. And so what we find about this man is that he is completely under the supernatural influence of demons. He's totally consumed. Jesus says, what's your name? He says, my name is Legion. A legion of, uh, uh, of Roman soldiers was a company of three to six thousand so this man isn't just under the control of one demon. This man is under the control of thousands of demons. Okay, So, you know, one demon would be a lot to make humanity feel out of control. This man is under the control of, of thousands. And, and look at what they've done to the man. What do we see demons doing to this man We see them stripping him of his dignity. The fact that he's naked outside of marriage is is shameful. He has no human dignity where he's living, how he's living. They lead him to willingly inflict pain on himself. He's gnashing himself with stones and cutting himself. And these demons have isolated him. He's living among tombstones, totally deprived from the company of other people. And so, if these are the symptoms that this man is experiencing, the symptoms of demonic possession, whether or not you've ever recognized someone under the direct control of a demon, I think we can safely say this morning that any time we find humans willfully living in isolation, uh, living painful, undignified lives, hurting themselves, allowing themselves to be under the influence of, of things other than Christ and the Holy Spirit, that we can assume that the demonic is at work. We can ex- assume that the demonic is at work today in those who have given themselves over to, to destructive lust and drugs and alcohol. And, and please, just let me make it clear here. I, I, a demon cannot make you do anything. Uh, when humans willfully give themselves over to destructive thoughts and destructive behaviors, we, we give them free reign in our lives. And so Satan and his demons want to destroy every shred of dignity that exists in these human beings that are created in the image of God. But Jesus is the Lord of the demons. And I would tell you today, if you are caught under the control of destructive habits that 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 have gone out of your control, the same Jesus that is Lord of the storm is Lord of the demons. And so here's what I think is so important about verses 28 through 30. This man recognizes, this man under the influence of these demons, recognizes that Jesus is the Son of God and he bows down. No human being can subdue this man who is is under the control of thousands of demons, but when he comes upon Jesus Christ, he bows down immediately y'all contrast this with the disciples by the way who were just in a boat with jesus and saw himself saw him say peace be still and what do they say they say who is this we we don't know we don't know who this is so let's just be clear this morning jesus is lord you know We'll, we'll, we'll talk about, you know, people will say, you need to make Jesus the Lord of your life. We don't make Jesus the Lord of anything. He is the Lord. He is the Lord of every human being who has walked on the face of the earth. He is the Lord of every angel, fallen and unfallen. Paul says in Philippians chapter 2 that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. One day, just like the demons, every human being, even those who shake their fist at God right now, will bow before Jesus Christ. And so, as we encounter this passage this morning, the right response is to recognize that Jesus is the Lord of all. And so at this point, three really unexpected things happen. First of all, the demons ask Jesus if they can go into the herd I, I Luke doesn't elaborate on this. He doesn't tell why the demons want to stay into this region, uh, why they want to go into these pigs. Maybe they're just like, look, if you're not going to let us have this guy, we're taking your bacon. And they, they run off the cliff and they destroy the pigs. The second thing that's interesting about this passage is the townspeople ask Jesus to leave their region. So word starts to spread. They come, they see this man who has been under the influence of all those demons is clothed and in his right mind. It's an undeniable miracle, y'all. This is an undeniable, no kidding around miracle. Miracles are things that only God can do. It's a suspension of the supernatural. If you're going to lunch today, at the Mexican restaurant because you can get chips and you want chips as soon as you can after church because you need to be eating something even while your food is being prepared. That's, that's kind of how my family thinks. Um, we, go, we go to the, gets, I got five kids, chips and water, and then we'll split up a few other things. Um, so you're going, you're going to the Mexican restaurant after church and the parking lot is totally full. And you pray, Lord, I got kids in the back and they're starving. I need a parking place right now. Okay? And if suddenly a car right in front pulls out and drives away, that is some wonderful providence from God. That is not a miracle. All right? That is not a miracle. Now, if you pull into that parking place, parking lot, and you say, "Lord, I got to get these kids in right right now." And suddenly one of those cars levitates and moves over to another parking lot somewhere else. That is a miracle. That that is something that is unexplainable. Okay, And so these people right here, they have witnessed a true, no kidding around miracle. And they are seized with great fear. And they ask Jesus to leave. Do you think it's at all interesting that they are less scared by the naked, scary, screaming guy who's in the tombs? They've let him hang around for a long time. But as soon as Jesus comes to their town they're like, we would like less of you. Surely there were other people in that town who needed healing. But instead they say, get out. What are they thinking? And what are we thinking? I think sometimes we are afraid of what Jesus is going to do if we bow before him. The the things that trouble us, the things that we struggle with, the sins that we are caught in, we can't imagine our lives without them. And so if Jesus comes in, we don't know what's going to happen. And that scares us. And that leads us to say, you know what, Let's, let's not have you in here. The third thing that's very interesting to me is that Jesus does not let the man who healed him follow him. That's a very interesting part of this passage. Everyone is asking Jesus to do something. The demons beg him to let them go into pigs. And he says, okay. The townspeople beg him to leave their region. And he says, okay. But the man whom he heals says, let me come with you. And Jesus says, no. I need you to go into town. And I need you to proclaim what has happened to you i need you to tell everybody what god has done for you isn't it interesting that that's the request that he doesn't answer because he has a job for that man to go and do so the sum of the matter here simply is just one big point jesus is not locked in a battle between good and the forces of evil There are many religions and philosophies that teach that there is some kind of cosmic battle going on between good and evil. I am a a firmly entrenched child of the 80s. I am a Star Wars fan. I like Star Wars and my my kids like Star Wars because I like Star Wars. But let's just be clear, there is no force. There is no good side and uh, dark side that are battling it out. Jesus didn't come to bring balance to anything. All right? Jesus came to destroy the darkness. Jesus and Satan are not two sides of the same coin. There, there's Jesus and then there's everything else. He can walk out and he can say, Storm, you stop. He can walk up to a man filled with demons and the demons drop down and, and bow before him. It's that simple. All right, let's move on. So, the third and fourth account in our passage this morning are are kind of combined with one another. So this third account is about a woman who has an uncontrollable bleed for the last 12 years, but we have to introduce ourselves to the first, to the character in the final section um, right at the beginning, and his name is Jairus. So let's look at verses uh, 40 through 42. And as Jesus returned, the people welcomed him, for they had all been waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, Jairus. And he was an official of the synagogue, and he fell at Jesus' feet, and he began to implore him to come to his house. For he had only, he had an only daughter, about 12 years old, and she was dying. But as he went, the crowds were pressing in upon him. Alright, so Jairus, is the ruler of the synagogue in town. And that means that he is the man in charge. He is powerful, he is well known, he is likely pretty well off. So give me a moment to or two here of just just some sanctified imagination as we're setting this up here. Okay, so we're we're kind of reading reading between a couple of verses. But let's just think about this. Jairus and his wife are good Jews. They are good Jews people they practice the law they do the right things they don't rock the boat and they enjoy a comfortable life in Galilee now i suspect they've seen jesus teach or at least they have heard of him maybe Jairus has been standing nearby while jesus has been teaching in the town just kind of listening and maybe he comes home at night and he tells his wife there's there's a new guy in town He's teaching, you know, he's really engaging, he's a good teacher. I mean, takes things a little too far, but, you know, jury's, jury's kind of still out on Jesus. And so for Jairus to become a, a follower of Jesus would be very, very costly to him. So he's the ruler of the synagogue, and there's there's no way he maintains that position if he becomes a follower of of Jesus not only would he lose his friends but he would be ostracized by his family so so you can think of Jairus like this pri- prior to his daughter getting sick he he's fine to have a, a little bit of Jesus you know just enough to to enjoy his teaching but for the most part he le- leaves that alone so then one day he comes home from from work at the synagogue he walks in the door and his wife says you know our our daughter has a has kind of developed a really bad fever and they start to do everything they know to do and things are getting worse and they're up all night next to her bed and, and they're grieving and all of a sudden they start to realize she's, she's dying. She's their only daughter and they are out of options. And so Jairus is sitting there and he thinks, alright, there's Jesus. Maybe, maybe it's his wife who brings it up first. You know, there's that guy... And he's been healing people. And he's making these claims about himself. Maybe they've even seen a miracle. Maybe they were at the synagogue the day that Jesus healed the man with the withered hand. So Jairus knows this guy might be able to help my daughter. And so the next morning he gets up and he knows there's going to be some cost. But he goes and he seeks out Jesus. The situation is dire. he's at the end of himself he is willing to give it all up for the sake of his daughter so he kisses his wife and he heads out the door knowing that he might be about to give up everything and falling at jesus feet he implored him to come to his house for he had only one daughter about 12 years of age and she was dying so here is jesus this poor itinerant preacher and here is the ruler of the synagogue. On his face before Jesus in front of the whole town, begging him to come and heal his daughter. But then there's a break. Jairus has Jesus, he thinks, following him. Look at verse 43. And a woman who had a hemorrhage for 12 years and could not be healed by anyone came up behind him and touched the fringe of his cloak, and immediately his hemorrh- her hemorrhage stopped. And Jesus said, Who is the one who touched me? And while they were all denying it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone did touch me, for I am aware that power went out of me. And when the woman saw that she had not escaped notice, she came trembling, and she fell down before him and declared in the presence of all the people the reason why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. All right, so we turn our attention from Jairus over to this woman who is in the crowd. She has had a discharge of blood for 12 years. The little girl is 12 years old. The woman has had the discharge for 12 years. Don't don't know what to make of that, but it's just interesting that it's there in the passage. It was probably some kind of uterine bleed. So not only would she have been terribly embarrassed by this, but it would have rendered her ceremonially unclean, which means she couldn't even be touched. And so, remember, Luke's a doctor, and so he says she spent everything on physicians, and you can only imagine the type of quack, humiliating treatments that she may have tried to get better. Nothing has worked, and so she's desperate, and so unlike Jairus, she approaches Jesus in secret carefully she tries to sneak up behind him and she says if i just touch one of the edges of his robe then i will be healed and she does and immediately she is miraculously and totally healed and jesus turns around and he says who touched me and peter says lord there are all kinds of stinky smelly people here. What do you mean who touched you? We are in the middle of this crowd. We got the storms going on. We got these demon possessed naked people. Now we got all these people around us and you want to know who touched you? And Jesus says, "No. Somebody touched me because I felt the power go out of me." And maybe he's looking right at her. Clearly she can't hide and so she comes out of the crowd trembling falls at his feet and she tells in the presence of all why she touched him and what has happened. And he responds to her tenderly. This, this isn't magic. This is faith. Your timid faith has, has healed you. I'm, I'm, I'm reminded, we talked about this a little bit this weekend, but again, James's words, humble yourself before the Lord and He will exalt you. Imagine this woman, imagine the thrill in her heart as she is bowing before Jesus and how He reaches down and He says, your, your faith has made you well. And, and he, he lifts her up and He restores her to health. And she has peace with God and Jesus Christ. Do you look forward to that day? Do you look forward to that day when we enter into the presence of Jesus, the creator and the sustainer of the universe and and, and we we see him as he is and he lifts us up, restoring us to health and as as we begin to enjoy the fruit of all that he has done for us, when he looks at us and he raises us up and he says, well good, well done, good and faithful servant. What, what What a wonderful moment it must have been for that woman. But the whole time, y'all, Jairus is standing there. And for him, the clock is ticking. He is the leader of the synagogue. And this woman is a nobody. And she has been bleeding for 12 years. Maybe he's even thinking, oh, my goodness, can't she wait another hour? Like, she's been bleeding for 12 years. My daughter's about to die. Can't she wait? Can't Jesus come back to her later? I was here first. And Jesus has taken his time. Let's look at verse 49. While he was still speaking, someone came from the house of the synagogue official saying, your daughter has died. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. Y'all, this is a passage about hopeless people. Jesus is the God of lost causes. There was the raging storm on the sea. There was the demon-possessed man. There was a woman who had been bleeding for 12 years. But there's nobody that's more hopeless at this moment than Jairus. She's dead. There's nothing more that can be done. Jairus, don't trouble the teacher anymore. Death is the ultimate enemy. It comes to the rich, to the poor, to the young, to the old. In the storm, there was still hope for help. I mean, you might survive the storm. The demon could be cast out of the demon possessed man the the woman who was bleeding was bleeding but she was still alive but death is final and once she's gone there's nothing that can be done right and jesus on hearing this answered verse 50 do not hinder him Wait, that is the wrong verse. That really moves the moment, doesn't it? Verse 50, but when Jesus heard this, he answered him, Do not be afraid any longer. Only believe, and she will be made well. And Jesus knows exactly what he's doing. He's bringing Jairus to the end of himself. He has no more resources to depend on. His position, his talent, his money, his friendships, they're all meaningless. Jairus is weak and he knows it. The world is out of his control. And Jesus says, do not fear, only believe. Paul says to the Corinthians, he says, for when I am weak, I am strong. And Jairus doesn't know it, But his faith is about to make him a giant. Look at verse 51. When he came to the house, he did not allow anyone to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the girl's father and mother. And they were all weeping and lamenting for her. But he said, stop weeping, for she has not died but is asleep. And they began laughing at him, knowing that she had died He, however, took her by the hand and called, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up immediately, and he gave orders for something to be given to her. Her parents were amazed, but he instructed them to tell no one that it had happened. Y'all, the thought of being raised from the dead is no less believable to that first century audience than it would be for us today don't be tempted to think that this was just a bunch of superstitious superstitious, gullible people jesus says she's only sleeping but they know that she is dead what they don't know is that for jesus raising the dead is as easy as waking somebody up from their sleep Luke's words are so brief here. They are so brief. Can you imagine what that scene must have been like? First of all, she got up at once. There's no, there's no recovery. She gets up immediately. Think about all the crying and the hugging. Think about what must be going on for Peter, James, and John. They have been watching this whole series of events since the beginning of this passage. And I love what Jesus says here. How um, I know you guys are happy and everything, but why don't you give her something to eat? She's been sick. She hasn't eaten. You know, she's probably hungry. And it's just, Jesus isn't aloof. He's, he's acquainted with the human condition. He's been tired. He's been hungry. He knows what we need better than we do. You know, I think these are some of the best stories in the scripture. I, I love all four of these accounts. And I hope you can see as we've gone quickly through this passage that that, that the main point for our purposes is that Jesus is Lord of all of it. Think about the power of Jesus' words. To the storm, he says, cease, and it's calm. He speaks to thousands of demons, and they immediately staff to attention. Sir, yes, sir. He speaks, and a little girl gets up. And needs something to eat. And that same Jesus lives and reigns. And he is so powerful. And I think this profound truth is best communicated by the old children's song. Jesus loves me. Little ones to him belong. They are weak. But he is strong. We are so weak. Brothers and sisters, do you really believe that? What if by God's grace we could just grasp how poor and powerless we really are and how rich and powerful he really is. And I am more and more convinced that it is God's grace in those moments when you feel like you are being swallowed up by life and everything is out of control. I am more and more convinced that the, temp- the, the teaching of these scriptures is God is putting you right where he wants you. Because when you are weak, he is strong. And when you recognize that and are able to act and live in faith, then then you are powerful. Secondly, do you believe that Jesus is Lord of all? So this is a passage about power, but it's also about faith. And the question for us is the same question that Jesus had for the disciples after the boat. Where is your faith? How convinced are you that Jesus is powerful to help? As I said at the beginning, Jesus is the God of lost causes in all four stories. We see people at the end of themselves. So, so think about this. And, and maybe you're one of these people in here this morning, or maybe you've been one of these people lately. The disciples show terrified faith, freaking out faith. Ah, what is happening? This storm, we're scared. Master, help us. The situation is life and death. Master, if you don't help us, we might die right now. We need you to help. Get up. I need you to help me right now. That's terrified faith. The demoniac, and I kind of thought through how to characterize this one, and this is the best way I came up to characterize The The demoniac has zero faith. He has no faith at all. Uh, maybe you're here this morning, and up until now, you've wanted nothing to do with Jesus. But now, through his word, through the the Spirit and and the word of God that you've heard, maybe you recognize who he is, and and will you, like the demoniac with, with zero faith, bow before him for the first time ever? There's the woman with the hemorrhage who has timid faith. Maybe you've been battling a trial for decades. Maybe you're sick. Maybe you're sad. Maybe you're beaten down and weak. Maybe you've spent every resource you have trying to get help. And maybe for the first time in your life, you just need to to just reach out to Jesus. Ask, Ask for his help. And then finally, we see Jairus. And I would characterize Jairus as desperate faith. God has finally brought you to a place where you realize your money, your position, your intelligence, and even your religion are are all garbage, and you need to just humble yourself before God this morning, and he will give you what you need. Please understand, this is faith in Jesus. Don't leave here this morning hearing some kind of exhortation to believe in yourself. This is exactly the opposite. Every Disney movie for the past 25 years has been peddling this believe-in-yourself garbage. Just believe in yourself and your dreams will come true. Y'all remember the Prince of Egypt? There can be miracles if you believe. That is a lie from the throne of Satan. Nobody in this passage believes in themselves. Nobody has self-confidence. That's the point. Our faith is in one person, and that is a person that is not ourselves. It is Jesus Christ. We are weak, and he is strong. And I know we have people in this room this morning who feel like a lost cause. And can I just encourage you, as we close, you are right where God wants you to be. Jesus wants you to ask, even if all you can muster is, is a timid faith of reaching out to touch the hem of his garment. And if you don't see yourself as a lost cause this morning, then I would ask you to consider that maybe you're not as strong as you think you are. And would you allow the Spirit of God to convict you of your weakness, to cry out to him, to save you from the tyranny of depending on your own strength and your own resources and your own abilities so that you can know Christ's power Working in and through you, because He is the Lord of all. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we know you are you are seated there at the right hand of the Father. You are in our midst. You have promised to be in our midst. You are here today. Um, Lord, would you increase our faith? I, 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 we believe. Help, help our unbelief and i i imagine most every person in this room is thinking of some circumstance some situation in our lives right now that seems to be spiraling out of the control there is no normal there is no normal life there's always something else father would you not allow us to be tempted to despair or to discouragement, but would you help us to see these as opportunities to trust you and see you work? May we have the, the trust of Jesus, who is asleep in the bottom of the boat, resting as the storm rages above him.